If you've visited our church website recently, you uh, may have read a warning about how a couple of weeks back our website was infected with a computer virus. And the warning suggested that if you'd visited our website on a certain day, your computer may also be infected and you need to run some antivirus programs to double-check everything's okay. I'm sorry if I'm breaking the news to you for the first time. Uh, Man, it was such a pain. Uh, This virus also spread across to the Western Plains Convention website at exactly the right time, or the wrong time, when people were trying to register for last week's convention. It was such an incredible nuisance. And testimony also to the extraordinary ability that some people have of taking stuff that's good and using it to do bad. I mean, think about the internet. I have no understanding how it works, but what a phenomenal piece of technology. The internet has just revolutionised the way we live, it's revolutionised the way we communicate to each other. It's a great invention. Yeah, what do we do with it? People use it to spread viruses so as to wreck other people's computers or else we flood it with junk emails or bogus emails to try and get other people's bank account details. But people use it to circulate child pornography. Others use it to to do cyberbullying, spread gossip. One of Australia's leading experts on internet crime has even said that the internet provides so many opportunities for crime, we are fast approaching the point when we need to honestly ask whether or not we should actually turn it off. He reckons it's only a matter of time before an entire Western country goes down. You and I, humanity... We have this incredible, terrible track record of taking stuff that is good and using it to do so much bad. And this morning, Song of Songs wants to tell you, God wants to warn us, that being in love and making love is another example of that. That those things are beautifully intoxicating, they are wonderfully addictive, they, they are extraordinarily enjoyable, and yet we are so susceptible to totally and utterly destroy each other through them. And I think you can see this in today's section, because it's a section that repeats a lot of the stuff that we've actually already been reading about, but it repeats it in such a way as to really escalate the intensity and to reinforce what should be now a quite familiar lesson. Let me show you what I mean by firstly thinking about today's section that's going to run all the way through to chapter 8, verse 4, and and seeing how it firstly repeats the passion side of love. For example, jump into the reading that we just heard at chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn. Coming up from the washing, each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Now, friends, in one sense, there's nothing new in these sorts of verses. Ever since chapter 1, the two lovers that have been chatting away in Song of Songs, ever since chapter 1, they've been talking about what they love in each other. And sure, some of the things sound a bit silly, don't they? You know, uh, Verse 1 basically says she has all her teeth and that they're white. Uh, I guess back then, no gentle, uh, dental hygiene, it's no small thing. The thing to notice in this middle big section of the letter 
of the book, though, is that as these descriptions go further and further and further along, they get more and more sexually charged. Verse 5. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. They They browse among the lilies. He loves her cute, cuddly breasts and the fact that there's two of them and that they match. They're twins. Things get warmer still. Verse 12. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring encircled, a sealed fountain. The bloke is picturing her as a private garden kept for him. Exotic and inviting. She's not a public park. She is a private garden reserved for his enjoyment. And she invites him to enter and to have his enjoyment. Verse 16. Awake, north wind, come, south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Friends, are you sensing the way these descriptions are becoming more and more erotic? They have gone from you have nice white teeth to I really love your breasts to your body is like a garden and I'd really like to play in it. The descriptions become even more sexually charged by the time you reach chapter 7, which is basically the sealed section of the book. Chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. The guy is now systematically working his way up her body, saying how much he loves what he sees. He starts at her feet, verse 1, loves her feet. Guys, he even notices what she's wearing on her feet. Verse 1 again, moves up to her legs, loves her legs. He's working his way up. Verse 2, he loves... Well, it's actually here that the translators have a great deal of difficulty. The word translated navel only ever appears here in the Bible. And let me simply say that many, including many very conservative Bible scholars, agree it's probably not her navel that he's describing as being a goblet that never lacks moisture. The translators, they can't bring themselves to say what he's really on about, so they go for navel. He keeps going. He's back at her breasts again in verse 3. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Really loves them. Uh, from there it's on to his, uh, her neck and eyes and face and hair. Then verse 7, he's, not, he's a typical bloke if nothing else. He's back on her breasts. Your, your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples. To climb the palm tree, verse 8, had a quite specific meaning back in the ancient Near East. As I understand it, palm trees, male and female flowers, often occur on separate trees. And the way they used to do things back then is that they would get some pollen-bearing male flowers, then they would climb the female tree to fertilise it. I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine. The guy is talking about caressing her breasts as they make love together. Okay, now this is getting awkward, isn't it? Should we be reading this? 
Some of you may even be thinking, oh, come on, Bryson, you're just making this up. You're, you're just going for some cheap shock value this morning. Friends, the text itself, I think, is wanting to shock us. The text itself is, is wanting us to feel awkward and uncomfortable. The text itself is it's really straining at the edges of decency and modesty. For we are meant to be seeing that our two lovers are almost utterly out of control for each other. Ever since chapter 1, the song's been telling us that love's powerful stuff. Love can mesmerise you, it can enthrall you, it can captivate you. But now you see, it's as if Song of Songs is turning everything up to full volume so that we get the full force of what love can do to you. Love won't just captivate you, it can all but consume you with passion. It can cause you to throw caution to the wind, it can virtually cause you to lose control altogether, such is the intensity of the desires that are ignited by it. And it's not just the passion side of stuff. Remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, the song warned us that love will also make us vulnerable to pain. Well, jump with me back to chapter 5, because sandwiched in the middle of all this passion is a section on repeated pain. And just like the passion, the volume is now cranked up to full. Chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my my dove, my flawless one. My my head's drenched with dew, my hair with with the dampness of the night. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I rose to open for my lover. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him but didn't find him. I I called him but he didn't answer. The watchman found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak. Those watchmen of the walls. Now I'm hoping that those verses are ringing really familiar bells with you of what we read just a couple of weeks ago. Verse 1, I slept but my heart was awake. Again, it seems that we're entering into a dream sequence where she is again dreaming of losing her lover and not being able to find him. It's just like a couple of weeks ago, only now it's even more intense. I mean, before the previous example, the dream she had just simply started and he was lost and there was no reason why he was lost. Now we have a reason why he's lost. It's because of a frustrated bedroom scene. Verse 2, he wants to come into a bedroom. Verse 3, she can't be bothered. I'm already cosy. I'm in a warm bed. Doesn't want to get out to open the door. She finally gets up. It lets him in. Verse 6, he's gone. Her heart sinks. Because you see, it's sort of her fault now. Her indifference to her lover contributed to this, uh, which makes her pain all the worse. What if something happens to them, to him, before they have a chance to make up? So... Again, we're plunged into a search for him, a fruitless search for him. Again, she bumps into the watchman and asks for their help, just like last time. But this time, the result is even more brutal. She's beaten. Verse 7, they took away my cloak. It's probably a reference to her being raped. 
And then to make things even worse, after being raped, after feeling wretched for refusing her lover, in verses 8 and 9, she pleads for help from her friends who turn on her with callous indifference. Why should I help you? What's the big deal about your lover? Now, friends, it's a repeat of stuff we've already seen. It's a dream sequence, a very natural sequence of a girl having fears of losing her lover. But now it is well and truly a nightmare. Guilt, abandonment, abuse, loneliness. It is just like the passion. Song of Songs is running the pain thing now at full volume. The song is wanting us to see that love is powerful stuff. It is so powerful. It can chew you up and spit you out. Love will not just hurt you. It will utterly destroy you if you let it. And I think the song very cleverly sets us up for this lesson this morning by right at the beginning of the reading, reintroducing us to a very significant person. Go back to chapter 3. Verse 6. Who is this coming from the desert like a pillar of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it's Solomon's carriage. Verse 9. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. Verse 11. Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon. Wearing the crown. Now, right at the very first verse of the very first chapter of the entire book, we were told that this was Solomon's Song of Songs. But since then, the guy has barely rated a mention. And I don't think it's a coincidence at all that after barely rating a mention up until now, all of a sudden, his name is dropped into the text three different times in the space of six verses at the beginning of this section, a a section all about the passion and the pain of love where it has been cranked up to full volume. A coincidence? I think not. Because let's face it, if King Solomon is famous for anything in the Old Testament, he's famous for the fact that love ruined him. He's famous for the fact that Love was his utter and complete undoing. Love really did suck him in and chew him out. 1 Kings chapter 11 tells us that King Solomon loved many foreign wives and that despite God warning him that they were going to lead him astray, it says that he still held fast to them in love and they led him astray. And he ended up with 700 wives and 1 Kings tells us that they turned his heart to false gods. In fact, it's precisely because of this fact about Solomon that as this series has gone on, a few people have actually said to me, they've commented on it, how strange it is that Solomon is the author of this book. I mean, after that guy's track record with love, who is he to teach us about love? Some commentators, they likewise, they suggest that this song was, they reckon, written by Solomon early in life when he was still innocent, before love proved his undoing. I'm not sure about that. I wonder whether it's exactly the opposite. I actually wonder whether Solomon is precisely the person to teach us about love and that he wrote this letter late in life precisely because it was love that ruined him. Because what's the chorus that we've been listening to every week in this series? What is the warning that this song has repeated for us time 
and time and time again at the end of every single section. It's here again this morning. Chapter 8, verse 4, a principle which is now very much reinforced given what we've just read. Chapter 8, verse 4. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Friends, every single week in this series, we have bumped up against those exact same words. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, do not rush indiscriminately into love. Handle love with care. Don't be so in love with the idea of being in love that you force it, that you hasten it, that you do something silly. And this week, the lesson has come to us, I think, with even greater force. God really wants us to get this into our head because this week the volume has been turned up to max. The passions are so intense. The pain is so harsh. And so as to really drive the point home, the text has deliberately jogged our memory of someone who did arouse and awaken way too much love and who was utterly ruined by it. And the book doesn't want us to make the same mistake. And so, look, heck, in one sense, I've got nothing new to say this morning. Uh, come back next week. The book does say something different at the end of it. But in one sense, uh, it's been all said before. But can you begin to see how important a lesson like this must be for God to repeat it so often throughout the book? Can you, can you begin to see how vulnerable you and I must be to misusing love that God has effectively wrapped an entire book of the Bible around this lesson. And especially for us, this side of the cross, uh, uh, this lesson ought to come to us with even greater force than normal because this side of the cross, we can see so clearly that God is committed to our best interests. God's not telling us to be careful with love because he's a killjoy and because he wants to rob us of some good stuff. This is the God who gave up his only son. He wants nothing but good for us. That's why the warnings are coming. Because nothing will destroy you like misused love. And I've seen it time and time and time again. As people look for love in all the wrong places and with all the wrong people. And people who give up on Jesus because of it. And people become ensnared and slaves to uh, their own passions. And people who have to carry scars and emotional turmoil through their lives because of it. And this morning, the word of God is carrying to our ears the words of King Solomon. Don't make the same mistake that I did. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And if you haven't already started doing it in this series, you need to think over your life and start putting, in toge- putting together some very practical strategies for this. And so if you are here and, I don't know, maybe something's starting to go on in your life, a bit of a romantic friendship is starting to develop, you're getting to feel a little bit excited about things, that, which is lovely, take your time. Take your time, especially if there are people around you, people who know you, people who are committed to you. Maybe you've got some parents or family or some Christian friends. If some of those people are saying to you, look, I don't know whether this person's right for you. 
Uh, look, I don't know whether this relationship's going to help you be a better Christian. You've got to weigh up that sort of advice very carefully. And maybe you're here uh, this morning and you've got to start rethinking the types of movies that you've been tending to watch lately and the magazines that you've been thumbing through and the websites that you're visiting, maybe even some of the people and friends that you're hanging out with. Because to play around at titillating your, fa- uh, your passions with this sort of, that is so dangerous. And maybe you've got to lift your game with your personal prayer and Bible reading so that you're taking in a bit more of what God says and a bit less of what the world says. Maybe you're here and you're single, but you're actually in a fairly serious friendship relationship. If you haven't already done so, you need to talk with your boyfriend or your girlfriend about the sort of stuff that you're doing together and which may not be helpful. You might need to talk about the sort of clothes that are a little too arousing for your partner. Maybe you need to talk about the touching and the physical contact that's going a little bit too far. Maybe you're developing a little bit of a a lot of time spending time alone in each other's places and you're really inviting something foolish to happen. Maybe you're married and you're spending a lot of time with someone of the opposite sex who is not your marriage partner. And maybe it's innocent, maybe it's work-related, maybe you're actually helping them through a difficult period in their life. You need to open your eyes to the danger. Maybe you need to find at least one friend who's prepared to get in your face, keep you accountable, accountable and call you into line to help you recognise the thin edge of the wedge if and when it appears. And if you are sitting there thinking, oh man, this is over the top, I don't need to worry about this sort of stuff. If you are thinking that, I'm really sorry because that only proves you haven't learned a thing from Song of Songs. Because... Being in love and making love, they are wonderful, good gifts from God. But they are incredibly powerful gifts. And we have this amazing track record of taking stuff that's good and using it to utterly destroy ourselves. This week, uh, the interim report, did you notice, was handed down by the Victorian Bushfires Royal Commission. Brought back a terrible memory of that day when 173 people died in unstoppable, unquenchable, uncontrollable bushfires. But fire in itself can be so useful, can't it? It can help you stay warm. It can build a nice cosy atmosphere in the house with a fireplace going. It can produce light, cook food. When it's handled carefully, fire is delightful out of control, it's devastating. God wants you to know that when it comes to being in love and making love, we're playing with fire. You handle it carefully, it's so delightful. You let it get out of control, it'll devastate you. So God says... King Solomon says, Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And both of them ought to know. I'll pray. Father, again, we want to thank you for the wonderful gift of love. 
for the thrill and the exhilaration and the joy that it brings to our lives and our relationships. Thank you for that. But Father, thank you again for loving us enough to warn us of its dangers. Father, we pray that we would be people of yours who would honour you in the way that we handle our love lives. Father, we pray that we would enjoy love as you have intended us to be, but that we would treat it carefully and tenderly and wisely. Amen.